0: Episode of the In Real Deep Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Semino, senior writer at InRealdeep.com. And with me as always is executive editor Andrew Johnson. Hello, Andrew.
1: Good evening, Steve.
0: No, no, uh, no reference from uh, this film, no quotable uh, quote.
1: Uh, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is probably the least quotable uh, Tarantino, so that's okay if you don't have one.
1: I, I it's it's tough to choose, but I, I did write one down. And here it is. I'll bet. Besides maybe an afro, you look exactly how you did at 29.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a quote from the great Robert Forster, I believe, as Max Cherry in this terrific Correct. film. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, if you can't guess from that, and you may not be able to guess because, again, this is not the most iconic quotable Quentin Tarantino movie. But we are back on the NRLD podcast. We are talking Tarantino films, and we are up to his third feature. That, of course, is Jackie Brown, the 1997, let's call it American crime thriller, as Wikipedia does. It's <laughs> Tarantino's third movie. It is, I would say, an off-debated one, just in the because it followed up to college dorm room poster <laughs> also Academy Award winning to the second extent but it followed up two classics in their own way and uh, that announced Tarantino to the world and then it feels like with Jackie Brown he took a pointed noticeable not step back but sort of maybe went in a slightly different direction perhaps to prove to everyone you've seen me make two of movies of a similar sort now watch me do a slightly different thing that still has the same oomph and value as the other ones
1: yeah, and uh I mean what what a what a pleasure in that context. Uh I I, I remember liking this movie a lot and uh I, I still like it a lot, which carries on from the pulp fiction theme. When did uh, you see this
0: for the first time? How old were you? Do you remember?
1: I did not see it in the theater, but I remember renting it, so it would have been on VHS in, like, <laughs> whenever it came out, late 1997 or early 1998. Um, so you saw it as a was... relatively
0: young man, and you still really enjoyed it, even though it was very yeah, different than the ones you'd seen before. I, I
1: probably enjoyed it for different reasons. I mean, there was, like, a random s- sex scene, and then, you know, <laughs> I mean, the beginning... Uh, I really wanted to try and work in the my, one of my favorite quotes from this movie, which... Uh, Jackie asks Ordell who is Beaumont and he says he's an employee I had to let go um (laughs) um, (laughs) which is one way to say you shot someone put them in the back of a trunk and got rid of their body um uh but I you know I I I certainly appreciate it on a as someone who's uh Getting older, though, maybe not like middle to advanced age like uh, Max Cherry and Jackie Brown. I I enjoyed it greatly as as someone who uh, who who has more years on them, I guess you could say. I think that's maybe one of the themes of the movie.
0: Absolutely. And I think when I saw this, I don't think I ended up seeing until early 2000s. So I was probably, you know, 15, 16 or so. It was introduced to me by a friend. I had started getting into movies. They said, oh, you like the other two Tarantinos. Here's the third one. And it did not resonate with me at all. I thought it was borderline bad. I thought it was boring. I (laughs) thought it just, I just didn't appreciate it. It was very different than what I was expecting. And I wasn't ready as like a film fan to, to open my mind to like the fact that a director can make a movie that is at a different pace and tone than the stuff he'd done before, or she'd done before, I was sort of like, why is there not, you know, so much? There is shooting in this, but why is there not? Why is it not so quotable? Why is where's the the violence? Where's the exotic, exciting characters? Who are these old people? I just could not relate to them and didn't even bother to try. But I will say, I'd seen it since then and I've enjoyed it a lot more. And this time, watching it right now. I think it's fantastic. I think it is, it maybe is not at Pulp Fiction levels just because of it. It doesn't strive (laughs) to be that grandiose or, or iconic in a lot of ways, but for what it is, it's perfect. Like, I don't know if there's anything I'd even change. Like everyone who's in it is great. The story is great. It all flows so nicely. It really does feel like a response to the Tarantino. I don't know if they were haters back then, but just, you know, or or even just the fans who saw Reservoir Dogs and saw Pulp Fiction. and thought he was this guy. And then it was like, well, in response, here's a nice straightforward film with some different types of characters because I can. Like, look at how good I am. I can really do whatever I want in this medium right now because I'm just at the top of my game.
1: Yeah, and, well, we talked about in the last two episodes um, the fact that, you know, he didn't really – well, and who knows what he was thinking, but he, he – he, in Reservoir Dogs, there are ba- there are no women characters of any substance. Um and then in uh, in Pulp Fiction, there's really only one. And she's in there for a very memorable like 30 to 45 minutes, but uh, pretty much done after that. Um, and here is uh, Jackie Brown, uh, played by Pam Greer. And, you know, it's like a middle aged woman of color, which I mean, if you were going out to prove a point and say <laughs> here films are all about angry, violent white men, this would be a good you know, and and you can still make something really good. This this would be a good uh, a good exhibit in your in your uh, in your in your case, I suppose. Um, uh, I I don't know that I, I don't know that it's fair to like ascribe that motivation to Tarantino. Honestly, like I, I think he I think I'm sure he's aware of critics and everything like that. But I I think he especially after he made Pulp Fiction, it's like I can kind of do whatever I want now. I want to make a riff on exploitation films with one of the most famous stars of that that era. Uh, and also make it like a really, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that it was, I don't know that he sets out to prove people wrong. I think he probably set out to just make the kind of movie he wanted to make. And, um, you know, really different like you said than Pulp Fiction, but really, really enjoyable and memorable.
0: Yeah, I think he it's a zig because like you said, he can, he had sort of a blank check. He likes Black Exploitation films, he liked Elmore Leonard stories, like it was and, and I think it was you know, it was a zig because it probably was not the movie they wanted him to make or expected him to make. So if he was <laughs> right. zigging, it wasn't because he was showing film critics who was boss. It was because, hey, I can do whatever I want and maybe this is my only chance to make something along these lines. A the type of movie they do not make. Star Barring two older people in in yeah. Pam Greer and Robert Forster, who were not remotely famous at that point, who were right. rejuvenated right. by this. And also classic Tarantino fashion, bringing somebody sort of back from the cinematic dead. So I think it was more... It was definitely fueled by those things. But regardless of what his motivations were, it does answer the critics you know to some extent that he can't you know that he does not write for people of color always or at least about or use uses racist language when it's not necessary that he can't write female characters it does answer those critiques to a certain extent and it's just again given the macho posturing of the previous two films that we've just recently watched it really is a breath of fresh air to say wow look like i just forgot how different it felt, how, how reasonable and straightforward and still captivating it was. I just didn't, it just really felt nice to be like, wow, this guy, it, it's just, it, it's, if you ever, if you needed proof after Pulp Fiction that this guy was a, you know, had a little bit more range than you thought and was an auteur with enough of a, you know, who, who could take different opportunities and make something out of them, this is, this is pretty good proof of that.
1: Yeah. And I guess like what I find to be most interesting as I think about this film and and as we talk through it is like, is, is like in the context of when it was made, Pam Greer and Robert Forster are like the most memorable parts of the movie. I would argue probably by far, Um, which is really interesting given that you've got a Samuel L. Jackson role again with really weird hair.
0: Um, That
1: seems to be a Tarantino, like you gotta have weird hair uh, with with Samuel L. Jackson. And then like, oh, by the way, Robert De Niro's in this movie. And oh, oh, by the way, Michael Keaton is in it. Like, fucking Batman is in this movie, okay? <laughs> like, like, there's a lot of... That okay was very Tarantino-esque, by the way. Okay. Uh, <laughs> You're um,
0: channeling him without even realizing <laughs> it now. The,
1: there's a lot of very famous people in this movie, okay? Um, and uh, uh, But, like, the two people that kind of shine through are... And, and Pam Greer wasn't... I'm, I, don't, I don't mean to say she was unfamous, but she's certainly... In terms of peak of her career, this was not it. Um, and, and those are like the, the heart and soul of this movie: Max Cherry and Jackie Brown. And like, I just, I think I texted you when I was watching. I just, just love Pam Grier in this movie, and I love, I love Robert Forster. They're, they're both so, oh, so outstanding.
0: I really enjoyed this time. I did not remember how it ended. Like, I didn't know the exact sequence of yeah. events as they're all. And I was really just caught up in. Wondering, is Pam Greer going to fuck? Is Jackie Brown going to fuck over Max Cherry? Like, I did not yeah. remember. And I think you, yeah. and even at the ends. Obviously, I think they—they have a tearful moment. They have a kiss. Like is, she didn't fuck him over, but is she using him? Is, is does she fall right. for the guy while also right. recognizing what he can provide in her sort of plot to get herself out of this kerfluffle? Right. Like you really don't know, and that's a great part too because that sort of plays into Tarantino's sort of antihero love too. Like Pam, though Jackie Brown is, you know the lesser of all evils in a lot of ways. I guess Max (laughs) Cherry is ultimately the lesser, probably the least of all evils, but Jackie Brown is certainly beset on all sides by people with their own gains in mind who are trying to take advantage Mm -hmm. of her. She turns the tables on them. That's great. Of course, we're going to root for her. But then there's also a more sympathetic character in a lot of ways who you really don't know is he does not get what he wants at all. The scene where Max Cherry walks away from her at the way end and puts the phone down and just you don't see his face. You don't know what he's thinking, but you can imagine a lot of it that's heartbreaking and she's she's sad too but she's also going off to do what she's got to do you know he's yeah. he's sort of stuck in stasis that's such a poignant beautiful moment and it just it shows the the depth of these characters and how much they matter and how much thought mm-hmm. went into mm-hmm. what they were doing and why they were doing it like and to come <laughs> from these two actors who you who were not even on anyone's radar up to this point like what what again i don't know if that's exactly what quentin was going for saying look look at i can look what i can do with these people that you didn't give a shit about look how great they are and look how great i can help make them but it's hard not to watch this now and, and and pat him on the back incessantly for just giving them these meaty roles and just letting them go to town and seeing how 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 much they bring to the table
1: yeah and you hit on the thing that it was like it it that the thing that makes him, one of the things that makes him him is is that the characters are so rich, right? And I think the proof in that is that like these characters are so rich, but in this like such a different way. These two main characters, at least, they're so rich, but in such a different way. It's it's like it's muted. It's more bittersweet. They're weary, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like the default, like setting for them. And um I mean. They're, 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 they're no less rich than the characters in Pulp Fiction, but they're totally different in terms of like, demeanor, um, which is just a credit to him. I mean, like, that's, that's his, like, his superpower is character development and dialogue, right? And like, and those two things, of course, go hand in hand. Um, But I'm just struck by his ability to like, again, craft these characters that feel like they have a a past, present and future. Um, and we're only seeing the present right now, but we we're keenly aware of that past and, and of that future, like you kind of can imagine, you, you can kind of fill in your own backstory on, on what Jackie and Max Cherry used to do. And then you can kind of fill in this like future for them in some way too. Um, and, and that's, 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 that's what makes him, that's what makes him so great. And that's, that's what we talked about in, in Pulp Fiction too. Like there's a whole you know, we talked about Vincent coming back from Amsterdam and we know he came back through for, after being there for three years. We don't really know why he went. And you know, like like and that but that was that's fine. it's one of the things that like I is a sign of a of a great movie with great characters, which which of which this is another one. And that by the way, is not to denigrate the greatness of those supporting characters who are more famous, by the way, who are all excellent. I mean, the deployment of De Niro in this movie is like I I could rave about that um
0: it's such good, that, like, time. it's it might be one of the last De Niro performances where he is truly, like, playing someone other than himself to some extent. Like, yeah, just yeah. so, or like the, or even just like the dot, like, I, mean, I know people raved about Silver Linings playbook because it was like a slightly, because it seemed, it's there became a point where it was like, just the fact that he was giving a shit was like, plot it worthy. Yeah. And everyone would, fr- <laughs> right, oh, De Niro right. seems to care. Whoa, what a treat. <laughs> and I get that in talking about, you know, as a Pacino fan, I can't, you know, there, there are two pieces in a pod in a lot of ways in terms of their lack of shit giving in the last couple of years. But in this movie in particular, as you said before, De Niro is just, he's so good and he just, he's, he is it's just very different. It, it's, he's not trying to be cool. He's not trying to be good. There's like, there's no redeeming qualities, his character whatsoever. No. Besides the fact that he's a character on screen, who I guess we should be, we should give like the benefit of the doubt to until he does something wrong. And he just, and it's just like, but <laughs> which he, he does, <laughs> he, which he does very much do something wrong. And we'll get to that because that is, is certainly an interesting part of the movie, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's, I'm happy De Niro did this movie. Um, it's a proof of Tarantino's growth oomph in the industry that he could get to Nero to take a role like this and it is just really great to remember I, it makes you wish he had gone the more character actory route from this point forward you know like yeah he had just taken Absolutely. a total step down and said you know what yeah. fuck it I'm gonna do bit roles in things and give my all to them as opposed to sort of showing up as a name on the marquee to give something a little bit of a boost which he sort of did and it's just nowhere near as interesting as what he's doing here.
1: Yeah, well, and it's I I when I said yeah, expert deployment of De Niro, it's it, it is it's interesting because he plays against type for most of the movie, right? Which is like he's kind of a dumb mope, you know, like basically <laughs> that's it, and he's also this great um, contrast to, uh, uh, to 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 Max Cherry uh, in the sense that um, they're both they've got to be both of like a similar age here. Maybe maybe Max Cherry's character is a little older, but. Um, like uh, Max Cherry is uh, so clearly self-aware. And then, you know, De Niro's character is some is it basically I wrote down in my notes, like I think he's a guy who didn't who doesn't realize he's way past his peak, even though he's like clearly lost his like, you know, hoodlum fastball, so to speak. <laughs> um, but then Tarantino later in the movie, which maybe this is the entree to talk about, he he does get this classic like ter- uh, De Niro Burst of anger and violence, right? Which actually does play into his type. So it's like a to me, it was like an expert deployment of both De Niro going against type and then using that De Niro type exactly when you when you need it. Um, it was almost like a smart and toned down like Joe Pesci role in a lot of things. <laughs> uh, that makes sense. Like,
0: it does a little uh, bit, yeah. But I think yeah. you're very right though. And, and I think sort of tying into what you're saying, which I didn't really realize until you started talking about it, he, he does have this burst of uh violence and you know sort of gets his mojo back for lack of a better term as as a murdering gangster but it's against yeah. a, a defenseless woman who has no idea it's right. coming so right. he's yeah. the only character he can lash out at and feel strong against and feel good about himself is by killing this poor woman and granted she was being very annoying and like it's <laughs> not justification of murder by any means but and i don't and like tarantino's That whole scene is certainly raises some questions as many Tarantino scenes involving violence against women do as to what its uh intentions really are in the filmmaker's heart but in the de niro character sense it does make him seem even more impotent in another way like oh the only thing you can do is is kill this woman you can't reason with her you can't you can't be patient you can't be cool you've got no oomph the only thing you've got is to use this weapon and end her life because that's how useless you've really become in the grand scheme of things
1: yeah, well, I would I would defend. I don't know if we want to have the the, the treatment of women conversation at this point, but like you kind of started it, so let's have it. Uh, I actually think that in the the context of this film, he's actually on pretty solid ground there, because like De Niro's character is not a likable character at all, um, and the protagonist is the main protagonist is a woman who's going to get it over on all these guys. And it, it's interesting, you know, De Niro's actions. And then also the way um, Samuel L. Jackson's character Ordell talks about women is just like many, many other Tarantino characters have been up to this point. Um, but I think what's interesting is and maybe this is an indictment of his previous movies, but it, this is the first movie where he's got a very strong counterbalance to that, which is pam greer's jackie brown so um i think he's kind of making a point there in, in some in some ways um and
0: you're right and in and, and, in in non-tarantino fashion uh bridget fonda's character is shot off screen there's nothing gratuitous right. about it it's shocking it's surprising but it, he doesn't revel in in the aftermath it is it is a story element that like you said is perpetrated by a real <laughs> shitty character who at that point if we had any sort of lingering enjoyment of robert de niro you know as Robert De Niro the actor at that point yeah. you're like oh this is Louis Gara, the shithead character who's a murderer yeah. so it's like it's sort of why if you if you had that at the end of the movie that's washed nice and clean so you're right it's not of all the movies this is not the one in which we're gonna I'm gonna raise that point we, we've already raised it plenty in previous ones he does conscious or otherwise as we noted this this is this is the least problematic by far in that regard
1: is this the only Tarantino movie? And I guess we'll find out over the course of this that doesn't really. I mean, it's it has violent, it has violent moments, but it 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 doesn't really have to me a super memorable um splatter of blood or. Is there whatever. any violence like,
0: on screen at all? I don't believe there. Are, uh, De niro uh, gets shot. That that might be the only violence that's on screen.
1: There's not a ton. I or Del
0: gets shot too. So yeah, so so a couple shootings of the the main bad guys, but beyond that, you know, any any character that has somewhat innocence to them or does not deserve to be killed in that moment is killed off camera. Right. So right. yeah, fascinating. Which, if,
1: if you're looking for a sign that he was answering critics, that may be your bet, <laughs> yeah. best one right there. <laughs> That's true. Uh, That's a conscious and- choice
0: there for sure. <laughs> there's no. There's no. Uh, that didn't just happen.
1: Well, and, uh, it's, it's like, obviously, the next one is Kill Bill. And we know that that doubles down. <laughs> like, actually, in some ways, there's a there's a line of demarcation coming, I think. But um, anyway, um, you know, he sort of double downs, doubles down from from here on out. Um, you know, obviously, there's, I can't really remember Death Proof, honestly, but um, the rest of them uh, have spurts of blood and very memorable moments of violence, although they're cartoonish as opposed to the previous two that we talked about which are just hyper violent and show you things that maybe you're not expecting um they're hyper violent but hyper real <laughs> and i think going forward they're kind of uh they're hyper violent but not they're sort of like magical realism going on in a lot of cases so yes, so uh very anyway. much so. Something we'll be tracking on our violence, our violence tracker here as we continue this
0: series. (laughs) Is that a new segment? You think we need the violence tracker? Uh,
1: Yeah, no, we don't
0: need to do that. (sighs) I wanna say again, I just I really think we need to reiterate how amazing Robert Forster is in this movie. Like you said, they're all really great, but the like there there are just so many little examples I took notes in where you see Max Cherry making choices to support Jackie Brown, to go along with her plan, and there is this like depth of conflict within him that is so remarkable to me that he's able to portray where he's he's clearly doing it out of love he's doing it out of understanding that the people he's fucking over are not good people he's doing it out of uh to a certain extent his own benefit because he gets a cut of it so it's not like Mm. i don't he is not bereft of of benefit i think he's doing it out of I mean, not boredom per se, but he obviously is not fulfilled in his current life the way it is constituted. So I think the, the thrill of this new activity is exciting. And I think Forster really packs so much of that into the conversations. Like, he just, he never takes the bait or seems particularly enthusiastic or seems, you know, it's just, it's such a nice reserved performance in that regard. And I think really, the thing that radiates the most is this relatively unrequited love for Jackie Brown. And yeah. like, which yeah. in, in 1997 as well, I think two older, middle-aged people, black and white, being in love in a movie and kissing—I don't think that was a commonplace thing either. So, like, Good for them for like not only casting two great characters, but exploring not a taboo subject, but an underexplored subject cinematically, yeah. and yeah. and allowing older people to do it. Like, it's just—it's just not what you would expect. It's—it—it it, it <laughs> surprised me to a certain extent in 2019, 22 years ago. I really, there must have people who you know really appreciate this movie must have just been perplexed in a good way that this is what they're getting on screen
1: yeah and i think that, the most taboo subject of all maybe be middle-aged and above people <laughs> being romantic with each other forget <laughs> the race uh, races <laughs> involved um you just don't see that very much i mean on a, like even if you see it it's like oh no Meg ryan's in her 30s yeah okay um uh but uh no i think you're, you make a really good point I, I, um one of the things I love about the Forrester performance is like you said there there's true development over the course of the movie like or I'm not sure if it's on development or just more more and more unfolding or if you want to use like the analogy of the 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 onion the 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 onion being peeled back in layers and layers but like you know he starts off the movie and he's he's kind of a hard case and you're almost like rooting for ordell in some ways like when ordell's sitting there like he has this line I wrote down. Is white guilt supposed to make me forget I'm running a business?
0: Uh, <laughs> I got that would, written down too. That's a great. He one. would
1: fit in great in this era. I'm a little worried <laughs> about who Max Cherry is voting for in 2020. But uh, <laughs> uh, but um, but and and then like, you're right. Like there, the, all this emotion it, and it's it's seen by scene. This this like depth of feeling. This emotion. Um, this like it's like a twinkle in his eye and a curl of his mouth as he smiles a little bit more and you know like that just comes out it's such a subtle performance i mean it's it's really great
0: yeah it's terrific it's and it's hard to tell how much of this is the case but it is very interesting especially nowadays when we've seen him sort of get back in the fold and put things out relatively consistently that this is the only purely adapted Tarantino movie this is the only one that he drew yeah. entirely from someone else's source material that being Elmore Leonard's novel Rum Punch so no. i don't know what that means exactly it's i don't i mean unless we I, unless we traverse back into listen to Tarantino interviews from that era and really try to suss out what he was going for but just the fact that it is so different and and has a certain feel to it and draws on characters you wouldn't expect him to necessarily turn to it it does make you wonder what it would have been like if he had used this you know, particular bullet in his chamber a few more times in his career and, yeah. and tried to tell someone else's story. I would just be, I would have been curious yeah. to see if it had turned out as well as this one did.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I think like looking ahead a little bit, like I'm actually most wistful about this movie, right? Like I think Pulp Fiction is like the masterpiece in some ways and I, I we'll get there, I guess. But like, I, I, I seriously doubt. And I, I wonder if you feel the same that, uh, we're going to top Pulp Fiction in terms of, like, great. I think, like, I came into this being like, I'm not sure Pulp Fiction's my favorite Tarantino movie. And now I'm like, no, that's definitely the best one. Um, Like, it's not even particularly close. Um, And all his other stuff is good. uh, But, like, yeah, I wish I would have seen more of this, like, there is just such a, uh, a, a muted but expertly made, tone to the to Jackie Brown it's also like one of the ways it's not muted is that like it, it, it's got this rich sort of like tapestry of color like Jackie Brown's blue flight attendant suit and stuff like that um anyway that's kind of an aside but like as we go forward like we know he's going to become this like mash-up artist and also just kind of going to embrace excess you know in a lot of ways um Kill Bill is coming, right? And that's a very different movie from this one. Um, And it has its own merits. But uh, yeah, I'm with you. I would have liked in that there hasn't been an I guess I would say he hasn't made another movie like Jackie Brown since Jackie Brown, right? Like, whereas like Kill Bill and Inglorious Bastards and Django and Hateful Eight do feel like they're on some sort of continuum, right? Like they're he almost feels like he's making a very similar movie, but kind of hopping around genres. Um, and this is one I would have liked to see him like do again. And, and I, I haven't seen once upon a time in Hollywood. So maybe I will be, um, maybe I am speaking out of turn there, but.
0: <laughs> well, no. I was going to say, I have seen once upon a time in Hollywood. My review will be up on inrealdeep.com this week, whenever I get around to writing it. So please keep checking back every now and then, or follow us on social media and you'll see about it, but you are definitely right. And I've, I've moved, I've jumped around a little bit in the watching of all these movies <sighs> as we prepare to talk about them. I don't know. I will. Pro- I think you are probably correct in the first thing you brought up that we will. <laughs> Pulp Fiction is the best, though mm-hmm. I think there is one contender which we can talk about when we get to it. But I think it, it probably is not Pulp Fiction for many reasons. But two, when you when we do get to once upon a time in Hollywood on this particular podcast, I think that is definitely the one movie that that feels of a similar type to this. Like and well mm-hmm. again I, I don't want to spoil it for you or anyone listening who hasn't seen it yet, but it does there does seem to be a conscious effort in 2019 to go back a little bit and break away a little bit from the path he had been on for such a long time, which yeah. is refreshing it, again not to be too spoilery but it's just it's nice to know a that he still has that speed and that b in 2019 in a in an even more hyper everything era which you think would just feed into his bullshit you know times 100 he has made a calculated choice maybe because he's getting a little older himself to step back and tell a different type of story and that's really cool and so there is hope for tarantino down the line i promise (laughs) we're gonna have a fun like you said it's gonna be a fun ride through some zany shit for the next you know four or five movies but there is a light at the end of the rainbow just in terms of knowing that this dude who had who shifted gears once upon a time pun not intended to tell a certain <laughs> type of tale he has he can still do that he's just he's been choosing not to which is which is its own conversation you know like why is he been right. choosing not to i don't know right. but but this watching this at this point in time really does you know it, it's just it's very cool to see like it just i i am always i really enjoy when you know because i get as i think a lot of people do you, you, you associate a certain style and a certain tone to filmmakers and when they surprise you in some way it's really a true even if you're surprised o- yeah. all over again you forget and you're surprised and that's really yeah. what i felt with this i just did not remember what this was gonna be and it was just so nice to to see it play out
1: well and i think underlying all this is like even though i'm like sort of diminishing some of his work after jackie brown to a degree although i think it's Great. Like, the point is, he's great at whatever he wants to do, really. I mean, like, even like Death Proof, which I assume we're going to watch and, you know, spend five minutes talking about or whatever. (laughs) Like, even Death Proof is not was not an unenjoyable experience for me, as I recall. I haven't seen it in a while. Um, And none of the other movies we talked about are are unenjoyable either. And um, like, he, uh, yeah, I, I just agree. He's like, great at whatever he does. And this movie is just proof. You know, um, he, he he gets the best out of whoever he, he works with. And, um, uh, you know, I guess we're all on it's all it's all relative as we talk through his filmography. So,
0: sure. uh.
1: There, there's only so, so many directors we'd go through the whole whole filmography like this. Yes. Not want to, like, kill ourselves at the end.
0: So. <laughs> it uh, helps yeah. it only has nine, too. Nine's a nice, reasonable number. So we can get yeah. through nine. I will also say, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew, this is the first uh, focus on feet in a Tarantino movie. It is the first <laughs> real distinct foot shot, which... Is a trend from this point forward in a lot of ways. Once my time in Hollywood, uh, certainly returns to that trend, perhaps accentuates it as you'll see at some point in your life, as everyone will see when they watch it. But there is, we get a Bridget Fonda foot shot in this that definitely portends Tarantino's yeah. fetish to come.
1: Visual, though, I believe Pulp Fiction has some dialogue around giving your boss's wife a foot massage, that's doesn't
0: true, it? True, it does. Yes, so. that's a key crux in uh in oh. the early parts of the movie. So yeah. 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 So he was so, already on his mind, but yeah, maybe yeah, hadn't, he hadn't yeah. summoned the courage to to shoot it yet. And yeah. now we're off to the races. So.
1: <laughs> now <I, yeah. laughs> Yes, exactly.
0: And the only other thing that I wanted to say is two things about Michael Keaton. Thing the first, this movie. <laughs> he's is, in this movie. <laughs> he's in this movie. That's three things about Michael Keaton. A, he's in this movie. B. Apparently there is a Ray Nicolette cinematic universe because Michael Keaton plays the same character in this movie and Out of Sight. So we can only assume those (laughs) movies exist in the same, obviously they exist in Elmore Leonard's universe, but cinematically, these presumably are the same world. So that's something to think about, kind of, sort of. And also, it's really great to see 90s Michael Keaton. Sort of what we said about Robert De Niro. He was coming off the big Scorsese movies, Goodfellas and Casino. He was playing a big swinging dick gangster guy. Like, that was his character in the early 90s. Keaton is coming off Batman. Keaton is one of the biggest stars in the world. And in this one, he's still got that herky jerky, really skinny, Mm -hmm. all over the place, fast talking. Like, he's, he's 90s Keaton in so many ways. And a testament to Tarantino that he's able to say, hey, 90s Michael Keaton, why don't you play this 10 minute role in my latest movie sure Quentin whatever you say you know and just bring some of that Keaton charm to the table
1: can I bring my fake hair with me too because let's talk about how much how many hair plugs there had to be in that unbelievable that was what I wrote down about Michael Keaton how much fake hair does Keaton have in this
0: movie well Robert Forster has so much fake hair too and even well, his character acknowledges it in the movie which I was fascinated by I didn't know they were gonna go that far because as much I love Robert Forster that is not his his that is someone else's stuff on top of his head
1: or his oh, budget own for this, leg
0: hair or whatever
1: budget for this movie was 12 million we can only assume that an eleven and a half was on <laughs> hair
0: plugs <sighs>
1: for robert and keaton
0: works, works better for robert forster though because at Just least he's an, he an older man so like as an older man clinging to yeah. some semblance of youth having hair plugs it makes a lot of sense but keaton
1: i would yeah i would say i'm glad keaton has embraced his uh his baldness, <laughs> yeah.
0: so. <laughs> andrew we did not do our beverage of choice segment i don't i can't believe we i have an la centric beer again and i we totally missed the boat we were so excited to talk to jackie brown
1: yeah well uh, uh should i share yeah do you, you share to? first oh, you go okay. first and i'll,
0: and I'll follow all right. up
1: all right i'm 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 drinking a wicked weed lieutenant dake india pale ale oh sorry i already consumed that one <laughs> um, that one was really good they're out of Asheville, north carolina and they make great beer and their name is from uh, Henry VIII Outlawing Hops, which he called the pernicious and wicked weed, um, which I, is a backstory I love. Uh, and then I'm now drinking a Goose Island Summertime, which is a Kolsch, and it's very delicious.
0: Okay, there you go. Yeah. A little bit yeah. of a downgrade there probably, but that's okay. That, that's the way it should be. Start high and then drop down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am enjoying a Golden Road L.A. Dodgers Blonde Ale. This is a beer they sell at Dodger Stadium, and they also sell it in giant cans at the bodega near my house. Yeah. I went and bought one because Jackie Brown is very much an L.A. movie, and as many Tarantino movies are, and I wanted to pair that with a nice L.A.-centric beer. So,
1: You know, we can get Golden Roads out east. So, uh,
0: Really? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Wow, I didn't know they were that big of a deal. They're, I don't find their beers that great, so I wouldn't – Say run to get it necessarily, but it's in a pinch. It's a very, it's a fine product.
1: I like the Wolf IPA, and I like to think it's named after the wolf. So
0: you know. <laughs> it honestly, my it's
1: very strong, very I strong. Never
0: though. thought about that, but I had I don't i had a couple Wolf pups yesterday. The Session IPA. So uh,
1: that's like the little, that's yeah. like a little Harvey Keitel. I was
0: having a little one, a little baby Keitel. Yeah. When him yeah. yeah. and Julia Sweeney have babies, and that's the little Wolf, and I was drinking his beer. So
1: move out of the sticks, gentlemen. <laughs>
0: <sighs> oh, that's good stuff. There you go, a little beer talk for the end of your Jackie yeah, Brown episode sure, for sure. all of our fans. You know, I know yeah. our fans were screaming at their phones saying, I can't believe they didn't do Beverage of Choice. Where's <laughs> Beverage of Choice? So- are these guys
1: even drinking? <laughs> <laughs>
0: God, I can't record a podcast without alcohol. Rest- where are you not, fans? We wow. were drinking, we promise. So that about does it for our Jackie Brown episode. We are three movies into Quentin Tarantino's filmography. As predicted earlier, we did not make it by the be, the release of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But that's okay. We're powering through anyway. and We're going to get to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for sure. But as Andrew noted, next up is Kill Bill. We are going to get – I believe we're going to do the two as one as Quentin Tarantino meant for it to be seen before commercial reasons and extreme run times made it mm-hmm. be cut into two. But we will be enjoying Kill Bill. And as you said, Andrew, very aptly, I think, we are going to be entering a new stage in the Tarantino career, for better or for worse. Yeah,
1: Kill Bill 1 and 2, as the Lord intended. The Lord
0: (laughs) Quentin. That's right. So everyone get excited for that and we will be bringing that to you shortly. Otherwise, please visit InRealDeep.com. Like I said, my Once Upon a Time dot, dot, dot in Hollywood review is going to be up very shortly. A few other summer movies I reviewed. Midsummer, which was pretty good. Crawl, which was great. I feel like Quentin Tarantino <laughs> was going to really like Crawl at the end of the year when he does his like weird best movies of the year lists. Great. If you like alligators eating people, seriously consider going to see Crawl. But regardless of whether you see Crawl or not, Go to inrealdeep.com. Check out all of our stuff, all of our old Tarantino podcasts and some good stuff coming the rest of the summer. So check all that out. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Thank you for making time for Jackie Brown. And I look forward to doing a lengthy, probably, Kill Bill podcast with you.
1: My pleasure. My pleasure, indeed.
0: Absolutely. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be seeing you further on at the road. Adios.